The following audio was recorded at the Pacific School Leadership Institute, which was held October 24 and 25, 2019, in Spokane, Washington. Well, good evening to each one of you. It is a little bit like a child in a candy store to think about being at a Pacific School Leadership Institute first ever. And uh, for me, that is just a, uh, you don't know how much good it does my heart to think about this happening here um, this weekend. And, and uh, I just, I'm just thrilled. Thank you for the invitation to be here with you. Now, maybe at the beginning here, I just might say that uh, something you don't often hear out here is it really wasn't too bad getting out here. It's not that far. Uh, so I just thought you want to hear someone from the East saying that, okay? Uh, actually, I grew up in Kansas, so I'm, I'm at the halfway, I grew up in the halfway point, and of course now I'm in the East, and I never thought I would do that, uh, but there I am, and so it really isn't that bad getting out here. It's not that far, really, now. So I thought you should just hear me say that. That's what it felt like getting here today. I uh, find it hard to believe, but I'm in my 25th year of teaching, 22 of those in, in school administration. And maybe that's why it feels like a, uh, like a, like a child in a candy store, toy store. Uh, here is something that is very important, I think. And there are people willing to take time away from work to consider what I what I think is, is vital to our churches. Many times when I talk to teachers, I feel like sometimes I wish I could say some things to board members too. Because teachers often aren't the ones who can do something about what's going on. Now, speaking from a teacher perspective, I teach 7th and 8th grade, and um, I've taught everything grades 1 to 12 at some point, I mean, some, a class somewhere, uh, first and second grade music. There's a reason I don't teach first and second grade music, uh, and don't really enjoy high school. I've taught those too, but I prefer 7th and 8th grade. They're the most exciting group to teach, and I actually mean that. For all of you who think that that's um, an oxymoron, come visit or step in a classroom where there's 7th and 8th graders. Uh, they're just wonderful people. But I recognize how hard it is to teach, actually. And lest you think that there's nothing... Uh, you know, I, I, I remember, I just, I just, I'll just say this, I remember a, a man from my church coming up to me and saying, you know, uh, uh, he, he came and he let himself in through the school doors early in the morning. It was like early. It was only 7 o'clock, and he... He came in and he said, well, he said, Gerald, he said, uh, he said, you're here already. I thought, yeah. I said, wow, well, are you always here this early? I said, actually, earlier. Oh, really? He said, well, I said, well, what, what time do you think I, I should come in? Well, he said, probably 15 minutes before school starts. I said, okay. And I said, when do you think I go home? Well, you have banker's hours, don't you? He was dead serious. And I said, well... I guess almost banker's hours. If 
they put in long hours. I know something about how much work and time and energy. I'm not critical of this brother. I understand that. I don't know, I don't know how hard it is to build houses because I don't do that all the time. All of us in the work that we do have challenging things in front of us. And teaching is no different. Teaching is, is, is hard work. The funny thing is, I, I, there's great, been great movement in our people, I think. And here's one of the reasons I know we're doing better in our picture of education in our schools. And that is that it's been probably seven years since someone asked me when I'm going to get a real job. If they weren't so dead serious, I could smile more, but oh, I smile. I try to smile sweetly and say, maybe someday when I grow up, I, I don't know. But for some odd reason, I get tired at the end of a day of teaching. It's work. It's a different kind of work than swinging trusses and producing metal and pouring floors. But it's tiring. Just as those occupations have a place, so does teaching. And I thank God for the privilege of teaching. And so as a teacher, so I come maybe from a couple different vantage points as a teacher and then as a principal. And then um, I've served on boards. I've not served on the school board ever because I've been on the wrong end of that, I guess. Um, and so I, I uh, but I do speak to uh, two, two board members because I believe in the work of a school board. They're critical to the functioning of our schools. And um, yes, I care about it enough to, to travel a few hours to, to get here. And I just want to say, my hats are off, and thanks be to God that you're doing something out here in the West. It is a tremendous gift, and I hope it goes on for 50 years. I could bring you greetings from the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee, which I'm representing a little bit of that tonight. Um, I also work at, at Faith Builders. I have for about 17 years now. And... Um, most importantly, I bring you greetings from Plainview Gospel Amish Mennonite Church. Church. I bring you greetings from my church. At the end of the day, the work of our schools is about the local body of believers. I'd like to begin our time by thinking <coughs> about the larger picture of education. I think it's important we think about the why as we open up these two days. I'd like to lay out my premise for why. And I won't forget my assigned topic. I think it all fits together. I sure hope, Brother Paul, that it does. I would like to begin by turning our attention to the story of the building of a nation, the nation of Israel, and you know the story well. In Genesis 12, Abraham was called out by God to be the father of this nation. With time, this nation grew, and the children of Israel were divided into tribes or family units, such as Reuben and Dan and Levi and Issachar. 
And the instruction to families was to teach their children as they live life. Life for the children of Israel was to be family-based. Fast forward. The promised and long-awaited Messiah entered the world as a baby, Jesus. When Jesus came, he didn't come to destroy the law and the way things had been, but to fulfill it. In Matthew 5, 33, again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, etc. Matthew 5, 43, ye have heard, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus proclaimed a new nation and simultaneously a new family. In the first century, family represented a group in which the group's priorities stood above the individual's. Now Jesus taught allegiance. Allegiance to his family of disciples above one's natural family and use brother and family to describe followers of the way. A part of the New Testament era was a more complete view of the role of the family. Jesus changed the basis of the kingdom from a tribal and family basis to one in which the church was central in the kingdom. Jesus asked himself, Jesus himself asked that followers of the king leave their father, mother, and brother. He didn't mean that family no longer mattered. Rather, he assumed that the family was the core unit. The family was not an end in itself, but the family unit was trained toward God for the purpose of worship and work in the kingdom of God through the local body of believers. That's the New Testament gospel. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister, Jesus said in Matthew 12. Paul takes what Jesus establishes and talks about and uses analogies such as bride, the body, and the building to refer to the church. And these ideas carry a lot of weight. I think they were used very, very carefully. You see, as believers, we relate to God, not, we relate to God primarily as a group corporately, not primarily individually. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, he taught us to pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven. He doesn't say, my Father. Now, it's true. There is a personal relationship with Jesus that provides the basis for every believer. And I believe in salvation but I believe that the salvation of the, of the individual finds its expression in the local body of believers. Our culture has increasingly become me-centered, selfish, 
And today's church is fighting off the ideas of of the individual. And we're fighting to come together as one. Unity and worship of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's, That's God's way. In fact, it's interesting that more and more Anabaptists are questioning whether or not membership is really that important. It's easier and easier to simply lay down or withdraw membership, even rather than transferring membership. And so I think our very own people, I think we have, we're being affected by a culture that celebrates the individual. But I find it interesting that Paul spends very little time discussing the training of the family. For all you moms, we have five children. Our oldest son is 20 and our twin boys are 13. There's, and that's the spread of our family. And I find it interesting. Go to the New Testament and look at all the ways in which you should learn how, how to train twins, which is a lot of work in case you weren't aware of it. Um, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a lot of work, especially the first few years. And go to Paul's letters, go to Jesus' words. How many, how much admonition do you have as a father and mother for training children? There's some, but is there very much? Isn't that Interesting. Large portions of scripture, however, discuss life as church members. And many Pauline epistles are written to the church. The church is where the kingdom of God finds its expression. And the local body of believers is the heart of the kingdom. Jesus told Peter, Matthew 16, and I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I know. What does this have to do with everything? Let me say this now. Neither the Christian school nor the home school finds its reason for existence explicitly stated in scripture and verse in the New Testament. Think with me a little bit. Do you know any verse where it actually says, you should have a school, or you should have a homeschool? Now, I know we want to go to Deuteronomy 6. If you're, if, you're, if, you're, um, if you're looking for a way to think about homeschooling, we'll look at, at Deuteronomy, where, children, where fathers, by the way, not mothers, are supposed to teach their children all day long and all evening long and wherever they go. Um, that still isn't, I don't think that's what that scripture is saying exactly. So, so really, we, we don't find our reason for existence explicitly stated in the scriptures. But what we do know through scripture and verified throughout church history is that the church of Jesus Christ has taken very seriously 
the training and developing of its children for the perpetuation of the gospel and the future of the church. That much I can say is explicitly stated. Now I would just say this. History makes it clear that the school, other than the church, the school, the Christian school is the longest running institution of the Western world. Never been broken. History tells us that. There have been Christian schools since before Jesus, but since Jesus until today. And do the research. There's, there are books that talk about this, that make, that make its case. But our Christian schools are a significant piece of the movement of God through the millennia. And this is what we're a part of. The church is the longest running institution. The church of Jesus Christ has prevailed. And I think part of the reason, may I suggest to you, that the, Christ, the reason the Christian church has prevailed is because it has Christian schools. So what's the job? We're talking about roles. What's the job of the church? Let's summarize again. The development, training, and discipleship of its young people is a primary part of the work of church life. This concept of passing on the faith to the next generation is a theme that is repeated over and over in Scripture. And we'll talk about that tomorrow morning, especially Psalm 78. You all know what Psalm 78 says. Something about teaching great-grandchildren? That's in there. That's maybe the closest we get to an explicit statement about about educating children. But again, it's a lot about discipleship. It's development training of discipleship. And we're going to focus on one part of discipleship. And that's the Christian school. So I want to answer the question of the role of the school. So the job of the church is to train and disciple and develop its children to rise up and carry on the torch of faith. The role of the school, then, is to serve the church. The role of the school is to serve the church. Education has been accepted and embraced for millennia in the Christian church as critical to the development and preparation of young people. Despite all that, I want to say this. Education is best understood in the context of the church. Even though it's been a very acceptable thing, something we just almost do. I want us to think about how the school actually is best defined when you think of it in relation to the church. See, there are many ways to do education. There's home education, there's public education, there's private education, there's Christian school education. In fact, there's conservative Mennonite 
Christian education. There's lots of ways to do education. But any of these approaches are severely disadvantaged and worse when not linked to the greater vision and story of the kingdom of God as expressed through the God-ordained and instituted local body of believers, we call it the church. I want us to get that in our heads. Because we talk about the role of individual people, you as board members, as principals, maybe there's a few teachers here. What are our roles? I think it's important to first understand what the role of the school is. The job of the school. One of the, one of the things that's become, uh, that, that is sad to me, I'll just say it that way, is that I feel like the school, our schools have often, maybe it's just an East thing. It's what happens east of the Mississippi. That's probably what it is. Something in the water out there, or I'm not sure what all. Now, maybe it's just too many people, or I don't know what all your perspective here is. But something, something I'm realizing more and more is that school has become a distant, it's become an arm of the church. Now, let me ask you something. If I cut your arm off, could you continue to function? I'm not saying you would have to make some adaptations, and I'm not planning to do that tonight, right? But am I right that one could continue to function? When I look at the era and the times that we live in, I think to say that the school is the arm of the church might not be helpful. And I know I'm probably going out on a limb, and those of you who are in the classroom, some of you brothers over here, 15 years in the classroom, you'll know, why, you'll know what I'm about to say here, so I'm biased, I'll gladly receive uh, rebuke here. But what would happen if our churches would see our schools as part of the heart of the church? As mission critical to it functioning, as mission critical, as as a very important part of the church doing well, having a school that's doing well. I offer that for your consideration. I I feel like... um, I feel like those, those analogies of arm of the church and those kinds of things, I understand what we mean by that. But I also feel like schools sometimes have kind of become that. That it functions separately. That the school board does its thing. The rest of the laity does its thing. The teachers are doing its thing. The principal's trying to keep the whole thing pulled together. And nobody's sure what the thing actually is and who's responsible for it. What if, what if we saw our children as our legacy, as the, thing, as the thing that we can give to the world that needs Jesus by raising up godly men and women to step into their place in church? What would happen if that was how we saw it? We said, and the school will be the infrastructure, the machinery, the tool by which we can get there. Now, I want to say something here before I'm misunderstood. 
I don't know, there's probably quite a few church leaders here, or at least a few maybe. Um, I believe in church leadership. I do. I also recognize you as church leaders don't actually spend 30 some hours a week with young people. Is it okay to say that? You actually don't. Your teachers do. There was a brother who came and said, I've heard this from a couple different places actually, um, and I've heard this from ministers themselves saying, you have more influence than I do behind the pulpit. Now, I don't, I don't actually like that. I don't, I squirm. I don't, I don't know that's true even. But I know what they're trying to say. They have a lot of time with children that church leaders may just love to have and can't have. Now, just suppose we got this thing together in which we said, you know what? If this, we're going we're gonna to find the best teachers, the most mature, wise, long-term <clears throat> teachers <laughs> who can extend the hand of church leaders. J- just suppose. I-, I think the schools have become a little disconnected from the work of the church. And I think schools, I think church leaders, I think, I think should be inviting and welcoming the school in to help accomplish their vision and goals as they lead the church. I see that as healthy. We have been given two commands, Matthew 22. One of them which was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. The work of the church is developing lovers and worshipers of God. And this is part of working out Ephesians 6, we're told to bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This is the school serving the church. The school raises up young people who love God with everything and serve others. That's the gospel. School serving the church means transmitting the values of the church. School serving the church means submitting to the church. It means working in unity alongside the church. I think it means shaping an Anabaptist Christian view of our students. So how can we carry out this calling and vision? So I've spent a fair amount of time, a lot of it actually, (coughs) excuse me, talking about the big picture, the why. What's the school's role? And I think it is critical that we understand the role of the school. Because I think by knowing and understanding and and re-envisioning 
the role of the school, we can better take our places as individuals and as teams in the work of the school. When we know where we're kind of going, it's easier to figure out what each person does in the getting there. Because school is about the church, if I'm right about this, because the school is about the church, then I think the roles that are played are critical. They're crucial. Just as the body functions best when we use our gifts and and exercise them appropriately, so also the school simply does better in those scenarios. So in the last minutes here, I would like to offer some practical things to consider, just really practical things to consider in the various roles of the school. And I want to say that by you being here, you tell me something about what you think about school. And my hunch is there are a few more people in the Northwest and Midwest that aren't here tonight. I think there's a few more out there. And so I'm, I'm wanting you, I'm asking you to carefully consider why your school exists. And to talk about that, to get that conversation started with the other people from your area that aren't here. And then start working on, well, what does this mean? The children's song is when we all pull together, how happy we'll be. Now, yeah, it's that easy, right? It looks so simple in the children's song until we all pull together with people who are different from us. Then it's a lot harder. We find this over and over. And I think one of the reasons we find it difficult to pull together is because sometimes we, we aren't taking care of our responsibilities maybe the, the way we could or aren't sure about our roles. Maybe we're very uncertain about our roles and things get gummed up. It doesn't quite work. And so I'd like to talk about three areas, two primarily, but three. And I'd like to look at the church, the roles in the church, Roles of the home, I will not say much about that. And then roles in the school. And I want to just offer some encouragement for you here about the way you can, you can find your place. What are the roles? And I also recognize here in what I say tomorrow as well, there are a lot of different ways to do school. I understand that. And there are a lot of different ways and approaches. And is the board operational or does it mostly do policies? Um, which way does the board work? Uh, does the, do you have a lead teacher? Is it the teacher or principal? Do they have authority? Do they have responsibility? Do they have authority? Do they have, there's, lots of, there's lots of different scenarios. And I think there's some things that are worth thinking about. And I'm going to mention a few. Uh, but but I, I want to recognize that if the shoe fits, you wear it. Just just don't just don't make your toes all bend out of shape because you can't f- get it into the shoe. So I'm counting on you to, to make the, the right application here. Let's look at the church first. So the minute, I like to talk about church leaders. Now I don't know they, the committee didn't actually give me every every stakeholder, everybody that cares about the school, but. I've listed church leaders first. Because I think if, any, if, if anybody cares about us, the church leaders. So to the ministerial teams, 
I would say I would say this as part of your roles. I think one of your jobs in the church could be to communicate a vision for like our brother had tonight, a vision for children. A vision for children and a vision for education. Uh, one of my I, I repented of this, and I haven't asked it now for a while, but for a while, I was actually on a fact-finding mission, and then it felt almost, the responses seemed almost humorous to me, then I kind of liked doing it, that's when I knew I had to quit doing it, okay? And with the, this would be my question. I would ask church leaders, when have you last preached about education? And I had these funny looks, um, and it was uncomfortable, and... And so anyway, I quit doing it. Church leaders, you do your congregation a huge favor. Maybe the board chairman should go to the church leadership and say, hey, could you preach a sermon on education? There's plenty of material for that, by the way. It's not ex- I said the school's not explicitly stated as how you have to train up a child, but there's plenty of material there, pl- plenty of principles. Ministers, preach a sermon or get someone to come in and preach a sermon I'm going to say if the, if the school is the heart of the church, there should be a sermon, messages, or discussions about the school. And that's my plea even. Do you know how much good it does a teacher to hear the preacher saying that what you do is valid, that's worthwhile, that as parents, you ought to get behind that thing. And the church leaders are saying that. Of course, you know, the teacher and the principal is always going to say that. Do not take off for vacation. All, we just do that. You just think that's what we do because we don't like you going on vacation. That's actually not true. But we actually don't like when you go on vacation during the school year. That's true. Okay. All right. But what I mean is we don't mind you taking a vacation. What we know is what it does to our school culture, what it does to our classroom culture, what it does in trying to catch up children, what it means for the teacher to get things ready and then go and come back. And, and, and wow, it's, hard. it's actually really hard. But just suppose church leaders said, brothers and sisters, we encourage you to keep your children's school to prioritize them and to take your vacations elsewhere. That's not the teacher saying that now. That's not the principal saying that. That's the preacher saying it. And it carries a different weight. Okay, you don't have to preach about that. But you do, do you understand the example here? How helpful it can be to children. You know, there are children who actually don't like to go to school, which is a terrible shame. To be involved in something that you have to do, that Jesus said every believer grows, develops, learns milk to meet Christians, and they don't like it. That's tragic. To involve yourself in eight or 10 or 12 years of school doing something you don't like to do, it's tragedy. What if church leaders? said, let's get behind the school. And I know church leaders are, but I'm calling for talking about it, putting words out there, having children hear it, not just from a teacher who, of course, 
they're going to say that because they're the teacher. But hearing it from other places, ministerial teams, I encourage you to throw your weight behind the board. Not doing the work of the board, leave it to them. If you're a ministerial representative, praise the Lord. Don't use your office, I'm going to say, in a way to get exactly what you want. But participate in that school board, but enable that school board to do its job. Let them do the tough stuff for you even. That's okay. They can handle it. Throw your weight behind that board. And with that, it can be tough to respect the structure of the board and the school when you're a church leader. I know that. Just don't go in over the school board. Can I say that? That's outside of your role. You're enabling the board to do its work, but you're not running the board. It works best when there's a little bit of separation there, I think, and you can function together so well. The third thing I want to say is help parents learn how to parent. That's one of your roles. I've been teaching for a few years. People ask me all the time, well, is it different now than it was? Yeah. It probably was the previous 50 years too. I don't know. You know, I didn't live that long. I don't know what it was like. But let me tell you something. We have changed dramatically. The number of learning disabilities coming through our doors is doubling, it's quadrupling in many areas. The children being born, the children being born from 2000 to 2018, Generation Z, their primary issue will be mental health issues. Generation Alpha, starting this year, I don't know how they figure this stuff out, but what sociologists are saying, Generation Alpha, we don't know yet what it's going to be. There's a lot of troubled children. And I'm going to say one of my passions is, is, is the idea of parenting. Because as a teacher and a principal, I run into parenting. We have snowflake parents. We have helicopter parents. We have all kinds of parents. And as board members, you know all about this, don't you? I just had a phone call from a brother in another country. We'll just say it that way. I guess right up north here. Um, I doubt you know who this is, but he called me and he said, I'm meeting with our board chairman. And I realized that, and there's a student that they need to to dismiss. There's a long story to it. And they said the parents are, are sticking up for the child. Child can do no wrong. Ministers, can you help parents learn how to parent? It wouldn't hurt. And for all of you millennials here, go ahead and be a little old-fashioned in your parenting. It'll, it'll, it'll be okay. It's okay. Be a little old-fashioned. It, it'll, it'll, it'll work. All right. Second, I'm still in the church section. Board members. Board members, board members, promote the school. Just because you serve on the school doesn't mean that everybody knows that you really are for the school. You need to talk about the school in ways that promotes the school. That's part of your job. 
promote the school. Financially, one of your favorite things is to ask people for more money, right? Or not. It's so hard, right, to make the finances work. Get in there and talk about it in terms of investment rather than expense. You board members, a lot of you have businesses. You don't think twice about throwing money at investments. You think twice about throwing money at expenses, right? Investments are things that we do with hope of return. I think the education of children is a wonderful investment. Well, brothers and sisters, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel again this week. Could we have another offering next week and we'll see if we can scrounge up an extra $1,200 to pay our underpaid teachers a little bit more. Uh, makes we can make pay. What? If you ran your businesses that way, you wouldn't be in business. Okay, I'm, I'm board members, you can do so much good by thinking about the ways you talk about the money side, because money's important in the life of the school. It just is. You cannot operate without money. And so money is a big deal. Think about the financial issues and the way you talk about them. Thirdly, board governance. I have been realizing in the last about five years, but now in the last two, I am getting... I'm probably getting a phone call every three weeks on the average from another person, another individual in their school that's struggling. And the reason they're struggling, now I'm gonna, I hope you're okay with me being candid here, because the structure of the board does not allow the school to flourish. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, that's, a whole, that's another whole topic. I'm sure I'll cover it this week. But that's a whole nother topic, is the way that we structure our school boards. Let me talk about one area that's become increasingly damaging, I think. And that is when school boards become operational boards. Rather than having the brothers over here, the long-term brothers being in there, and they are looking out for the school, they're operating the school, and the board is setting policy and giving vision and direction and supporting and enabling the lead teacher or the principal in what they're doing. They're doing all of that work. And here's what I'm hearing. I'm starting to hear things like, well, the teacher, I heard a principal tell me this, a 22-year veteran told me, he said, well, I said, I actually went to their school and... We were doing, asked some questions and trying to figure out what was actually happening. I learned this. Well, said the teachers never come to me to ask questions about what they should do with situations in their classroom. It's not been defined who does what. And so, so they go to the board. And then the board never tells me what they're saying. So I actually don't know if my teachers even like me. I don't know. I don't know what their main problems are. But you know what happened? The board structured things so that the teachers went directly to them and not this middle-aged man, a good man. And he didn't know where he was at and what was going on. Very damaging. Can I just say that? It's very damaging. Think about the ways your boards function. 
try to not operate the school from the board seat position. Now, I, that just needs a lot more talk. So I hate to leave you hanging, but my time is fast running out. And Paul's going to kick me off the stage here shortly. So, so I can't go into detail here. But boards set set the policy. Figure out what you want. How can you best serve the church? But then let the school run. Find somebody who can help make that school run. Okay? Because you'll be confronted with hard stuff. And you enable people to do some of that work. You set the policies. All right, I'm going to leave that. I'll gladly talk to you later about that. Fourthly, long-term direction. Give long-term direction. We often make decisions based on what is in front of us. The problem is there's always big stuff in front of us. I was talking to school recently. The principal said, well, I'm getting concerned. So we started talking about what we, we need to think about what our values are as a, as a school. He said, we need to figure out what are we really about? What do we care about? And how does that change our school? So they were, the board was on fire about this. They were going to talk about this. The problem was that there were too many other fires to put out every month, every month. And now six months later, they've never revisited the question of what do we really care about? What do we want the school to look like in 20 years? At this point, they will not get there. There's always little things coming up that need your attention. We need to set aside time to long-term plan. What do we want our school to look like in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? If we want the school to survive and thrive and flourish, what do we need to do? What activities should take place so that we have the kind of school that the church can firmly be a part of? Okay. Lastly, I'm just going to say, think infrastructure. Think about the way things work so that things can work. If you're chairman, I don't know if you ever heard of Robert's Rules of Order, sort of an old-fashioned thing, where you take motions and second them and then you make decisions. Those are great ways to run a board meeting. Think infrastructure. How do you run a board? How, how do you shape your agenda? How do you make your agenda? By the way, if you're a board chairman here, can I ask you one favor? If you're a board chairman, meet with your lead, teacher, principal, whatever, however you're structured, meet with that person once a month before you make your board meeting agenda so that you know what's really going on in the school. I find it interesting how many times school board members let their principal leave the meeting after they've done their reporting and make decisions that they won't be able to follow through on besides telling this man what he's supposed to do. And they'd have discussions about a situation they're not even a part of. They've got to report. Think about infrastructure. How can things work well? Utilize the resources that you have right in your school. Think infrastructure. What, what is each person's job? How can we make this work well? What's a sustainable way to do this? Okay, I'll, I'll quit. I love boards, okay? You know this now. 
I, I, I really do. And I think the functioning of the board has a lot to do with the functioning of the school. That's why I love the board. I, as the board, so the school. You matter. And that's why I care about what I just talked about. All right. Church, now the home. Home. Parent well. That's your job. Parents, parent well. None of us are perfect, but parent well. That's the greatest gift you can give the school. Focus on parenting well. With parenting well, support the school. Both in finances, in attendance, stand behind the teacher. You know that the era of if you get in trouble at school, you're going to be in trouble where? At home. How'd you know that? Uh-huh. Some of you are in situations, you heard that growing up. You know what? It's probably 20% of the parents that see it that way today. Today, the question is, well, what really happened? Oh, well, she probably didn't mean that. It's okay if she was wrong, teacher was wrong. It's okay. It, she probably didn't mean that. It wasn't, well, don't worry about it. it really? Just get behind the teacher and help your parents think about how to get behind the teachers. We hear a lot of things from children in school. We don't believe them all. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and you'll hear a lot about us at school too. We'd be happy if you didn't believe them all. <laughs> Had a student go home on Friday and told her mom, she said, Mom, I have an exam on all my subjects tomorrow. Well, she meant Monday, actually. And the mom said, really? Yep, all the subjects. Are you sure? Do you know what to study for? No, I have no idea. And was panicking. So the mom, guess what the mom did? She emailed the school. She said, I'm curious what this test is. He said, oh, that's a science test. And it covers everything in first quarter. So she needs to study three tests from the last uh, eight weeks. That's all she needs to do. And the mother was very relieved. And we were very relieved too. You see, that's the way it works, okay? Rather than assuming things aren't right, think about, well, let's just find out what's going on first and make a determination. There are always two sides to the story. As teachers, we'll try to remember that. Really, we will. But give us that kind of grace too. School. Now, I got to go really fast. Paul, I'm sorry here. I'll I'll finish it up here. All right, teachers. Teacher's role, I just want to say it. Maybe I could just say it succinctly this way. Three things. Work out the vision of the church through the subjects. We don't teach English to become smart or to somehow make so you can get into Yale or Harvard. Hello? We teach English because God is a communicator and he gave us written words and spoken words and for us to understand and talk about the gospel to others. We need English 
English is a wonderful subject, including grammar. Without grammar, you don't have a language. It's God's idea after all. I know some of you didn't like English in school aren't going to agree with me here, but we can talk later. It's true. That's teachers. That's what you can do. Secondly, train with an eye toward the church of 50 years in the future. Don't get all mired in all little problems of right now. Think long-term. What does this mean for us in 50 years? And thirdly, teach for the long haul. I had to say it. For administration, whether you're a board member who does the principal work or whether you're a lead teacher or whatever it works like, administration, carry the vision. That's one of your roles. Every day at school, carry the vision. Second of all, oversee the operations. Make that school work well. Make it a great place for students to be. When things work right, children like it. And we do too. Thirdly, lead under authority and with authority. It's one of your roles. Lead under, you're under authority, but you lead with authority. Your teachers and your students are looking for people who know where they're heading. Fourthly, take care of your staff. Please, take care of your staff. So I could summarize the roles with two ideas. Communication. Between all these groups, communicate. Have conversation to help identify what the church wants the school to do, what the church wants the home to do, and what the church should be doing. Suppose the church says, we have a hard time teaching a survey of the New Testament in our sermons in Sunday schools. Could you do that, school? Figure out, talk to each other. What can be done? We'll talk about that more tomorrow at some point as well uh, in the afternoon breakout. Have conversations. It's a constant working together that makes things work. Secondly, communication. And secondly, invest in people. Invest in people. It's, it's about people, folks. That's what students, students are people. Parents are people. Teachers are people. Invest in people. Invest in people. It is a great privilege and freedom that our Anabaptist congregations have to operate Christian schools. I know a lot about the blood, sweat, and tears, actually. I recognize how messy it is. There are people involved, you know. It's always messy. Hillary Clinton wrote the book, It Takes a Village and Other Lessons Children Teach Us. And this phrase, it takes a village, comes from an old African proverb that means an entire community of people must interact with children for those children to experience and grow in a safe and healthy environment. The villagers look out for the children. It doesn't mean that the entire village is responsible for raising a child or the children of a crowd. NPR actually went and did a bunch of research to figure out where does this term come from. And they found four different groups of Africans that have similar kinds of proverbs, such as it takes a village. One, I'm translating here, okay? A child does not grow up 
only in a single home. Another, a child belongs not to one parent or home. Regardless of a child's biological parent, its upbringing belongs to the community. This is very much like our own faith tradition. We believe in brotherhood. We believe that the focus of God in the world is to reach the people in the world through local bodies of believers. It takes a community to educate a child. And I believe our Christian schools have been one of the most underutilized resources that our churches have. I think we can be more than what we are. In an era of many voices, the potential to have flourishing churches in 50 years is at our fingertips. Strong schools that are at the heart of the church can enable the church to work out its mission to love God and serve neighbor.